The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Well, hello, my name is Beth, and welcome to Crosspoint Church. Here at Crosspoint Church, we are all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus, and we are so excited that you decided to journey with us today. So, we have a few things that we just want to say, but the big thing we want to say right now is welcome. If it is your first time here, we want to say thanks so much for coming and checking us out. If you were not able to stop by the Welcome Center right in front, we would love, love, love to have you check it out. We have a gift for you, and we would love to get to know you. And then if you've been here five times or 50 times, as always, we want to say thank you so much for coming, and we want to connect with you. The best way to connect with you here at Crosspoint Church is if you open up your program, we have this connection card, and it literally does what it says. It's a connection. We want to connect with you, so we want to know who you are, if you have any prayer requests, if you have any praises and things you want to celebrate, or if you have any questions, Steve will most likely try to answer them. But most of all, we just want to know you. We pray over these. We celebrate with you. So thank you so much for doing that. And then we want to say thank you so much for continually giving here at Crosspoint. Because of your generous gifting, so many amazing things are happening here. The party last week at Vail Ranch, if anyone, did anyone get to go see that party? Yes, it wasn't that the best time ever. That's all because of your generous giving. You can text to give or you can even scan the QR code to give your do your giving or update your giving or you can always drop it in the buckets at the very end. But also because of your generous giving. I don't know if any of you guys have stepped back into the Kidman area, but they are doing a complete remodel. And August 14th is going to be our promotion weekend. So that's for all school age kids. They are going to move up to their next class. So because of that, we want to invite all of you who have littles, know someone who has littles, know someone who might want littles one day to go and check us out. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 9.45 on August 14th. You can meet the teachers. You can see the really, really cool remodel. And there's going to be an unveiling of the new stage. And I got a tiny sneak peek. I haven't even get to see the whole thing. And it is amazing. So you want to make sure you go and check it out. And there's donuts. So if none of that intrigued you before, there's free donuts, August 14th, 9 a.m. to 9.45. We have lots of things happening here at Crosspoint. You can check them out in your program or on our website, but we also have some men's things happening. Where's my men at? I have to tell you, that was so super lame. Where's my men at? Yes, we have so many men's events coming up. We also have a men's Bible study that meets here on Thursday. I was leaving the church on Thursday and someone came and they came an hour early, but that's how excited they were to dig in the word with their uh, male friends. But also we have a men's retreat coming up. There is a table outside, but there is so many fun, different things for you guys to do. Now, women, if you want to get rid of your man, you could also sign them up for a weekend. But with that being said, here's a really cool video of all the things that are going to happen here at Men's Retreat. Thank you so much, Crosspoint.
morning. My name is Mike. I serve here on the worship team with the tech team. And now that I've passed my background check and credit check, rookie small group leader this year. So shameless plug for that. Um, Again, we like to, we're actually going to be reading out of Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 24. And while you open that, if you have the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 933. Um, Our big push is always for service. We'd love to see you serving, and I was reminded yesterday when I left here that service isn't just about us doing things around the church or whatever we might be doing. It's the fact that God has blessed us, the fact that we can serve him. And so, again, even if it's your, whatever your motivation is, the fact that the blessings come from him just because we're serving him is amazing. So, again, that's my encouragement to you is to sign up and serve And just do something for the Lord and be blessed at the same time. So, um, again, beginning in verse 24. Some were persuaded by the things he or Paul said, but others did not believe. And after they argued back and forth amongst themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors... Sneaking the phone. Said to their ancestors, your prophet, uh, through the prophet Isaiah... Go and say this to the people. When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles. And they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Thank you, Mike. get pictures from the back of the house, but the front of your faces are much more interesting than most of the back of your faces. But anyway, that's fun. We're here at grand finale today of the book of Acts. It's been a great time being there. Uh, We'll talk about our next series coming up. Uh, A quick bit of business I need to do with you real quick. Uh, If you're on our mailing list and we have you on our records, you should have got a letter from us this week. Did you guys get it? Okay, if you got it, uh, read it. Because our whole deal here is there's some business stuff in here we got to take care of. We don't want to do business kind of stuff like Robert's Rules of Orders and motions and all that kind of stuff in our weekend services. We want to focus focused on Jesus. And so in order to do that, you got to read this and pay attention to it, take action on it. So if you didn't get the letter, uh, put it on your connection card. We'll get one out to you. If you got the letter and you haven't read it yet, sit down today sometime and take a look at it. Thank you. Appreciate that. One person's going to do what I asked. That's awesome. The book of Acts tells us how 
a group of about 12, maybe 100-ish people, this little fledgling Jewish cult, how in 30 years there are now churches and gatherings all over the Roman Empire. And this fledgling little Jewish cult has both the empire of Rome against it and the temple and the Torah of Judaism against it. There's no reason it should exist. I think one of the strongest defenses uh, of people's objections to Christianity, if it's true or not, is that it's still around. There's no way this thing makes it on its own. Paul was a guy who was bent on destroying the way of Jesus. He was the first terrorist in the Bible. He was going around uh, imprisoning people, torturing people, overseeing the execution of people, recorded for us. Luke tells us about it in Acts chapter 7. And then God knocks him down on his rear end and says, hey, knock it off, pal. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, just in case you missed it. And you did, Paul. You completely missed it. Get in on this. And he says, Paul, you're now going to be my chosen vessel. The terrorist who's trying to wipe out Christianity is going to be the one that ends up writing half of the New Testament. You couldn't make that stuff up. There's no way that happens like that. And then Paul goes all over the Roman Empire uh, to talk to people about the way of Jesus. Whenever he would go to a city, he would first of all go to the places where Jewish people gathered in their synagogues. Because all over the Roman Empire, there are Jewish, uh, big pockets of Jewish population there. Because Rome and other people had like did this big diaspora thing, they kicked them out of Rome and they spread everywhere and they would kind of form up in communities all over the place. So Paul, because he's a Jewish man, would start off by talking to Jewish people because that's who he has stuff in common with. And then he would invite the Gentiles in as well. He gets to Rome and he's begun to recognize, you can see it if you read through the book of Acts, that he's frustrated because over and over again, people in the Jewish culture, Jewish nationalism, uh, are all about, they don't, they don't want to believe it and reject it. And so the Gentiles seem to be very open to this. And so he gets to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he tries to reason with them. It's what Mike just read for us. He tries to reason with the people. And he finally says, look, I don't hate Jewish people. I am a Jewish people. I'm a Jewish person. This is not anti-Semitic, but he says, look, I'm no longer going to go to the Jews first and then talk to the Gentiles. I'm going to everybody first. And Jewish people... Get in on it. Gentile people, get on it. Straight people, gay people, poor people, rich people, dumb people, stupid people. What? I want everybody. Uh, you know, nobody smart people in there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just t- tie a knot and hang on. It's going to be good today. Um, and it says that last verse of Acts 28. It says he got there under house arrest talking about Jesus and no one tried to stop him, which echoes exactly what Jesus says. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No one will be able to stop it because Jesus did not come here to start a religion. Now, Christianity has become a religion. And there's some good things about that. I'm not saying religion is necessarily bad, but here's the problem. There were already lots of religions out there. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. I, I can prove it to you. I have verses on your note sheet. We're not going to look at them all. Turn to every chapter and verse uh, today. But over and over again, when Jesus shows up, you know what his first message is? It is not get right with God, get your Bible out, join a small group, give and serve. You know what it is? The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. You know what that means if the kingdom is here? The king is here. 
And it's this proclamation of good, how exciting this is that the kingdom of God is right here, right now. And uh, he talks about the idea that it's uh, in, in uh, Luke 12, 32. I'm excited to give it to you. He tells Nicodemus, a very, very moral, upright, be like telling the pastor of the church, you're not in yet because you've got to be born again. It's not a matter of just being a good person, being a good, watch this, religious person. Being a good religious person gets you nowhere with God. What gets you there with God is that I'm not a good person. I need not to be cleaned up. <laughs> I need to be demolished and rebuilt completely. I need God to come over and I'd be born again into a new life. Um, in Matthew 16, 19, he says, you have the keys to the kingdom, not the keys to religion. Jesus did not come here to give us the four easy steps on how to be a good spiritual religious person. He had his most trouble with the good spiritual religious people. They're the ones who crucified him. Now we're not doing that. This is for everybody, for the prostitutes, tax collectors, and for religious people. He doesn't hate religious people. He's just going, you religious people have the hardest time with this because you think you're all right. And you're pride and arrogance and thinking you're all right is probably more jacked up, messed up than the crazy people doing the shady stuff out there in Vegas this weekend. Sorry if any of you are going to Vegas anytime soon, but. <laughs> uh-huh. Paul talks about this. Uh, if you have your Bible open, go to the right in your Bible to the book of Colossians. You'll go past the book of Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In Colossians chapter one, Paul lays this out for us very, very succinctly about what it means that Jesus came not for religious purposes or spiritual purposes, but for a kingdom, a whole new way of life. But, but here's why this is important. Before I read the verse to you, here's why it's important. See, all kinds of people will say, well, I'm a spiritual person and they have my spirituality, my religious life over here. And then I have my marriage and my marriage life here. And then I have my job and my money over here. And then the shady stuff that nobody knows about in the closet over here, whatever. We had all that kind of stuff going on all over the place. When Jesus brings a kingdom, he says, oh no, I'm king of it all. I'm the king of the whole honking thing. Every part of it. Somebody's Bible is reading to him right now. That's awesome. That happens all the time. I'll get that new app and all of a sudden it starts reading to you out loud going, thanks a lot. Um, Paul says, Colossians 1, he's writing to, the, to some new believers in the church in Colossae. He says, verse 13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, which means that when you're born into this world, this is going to be difficult for some of you to hear because of how you've been raised, especially if you're under the age of 35 or 40. You've been told your whole life that you're cupcake, you're awesome, you're a skittle, you're amazing. You're born into the kingdom of darkness and you didn't choose it, but it was chosen for you because you're a human being. Kingdom of darkness rescued us from that kingdom and transferred us into the kingdom, not the religion and the faith of his son, the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We'll talk all about that gospel proclamation in just a second. Uh, In Luke chapter, let me find it here. In Luke chapter 17, people are saying, okay, Jesus, you're the king. When's the kingdom going to come? Like it's going to come out there somewhere out there someday in the future, Jesus says, oh, no, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is right here, right now. Revelation even talks about that. That's our new series coming up here. In about a month, we're going to start that. But Revelation, find chapter 12. 
Uh, Revelation 12, it tells the Christmas story in a way that you've never heard the Christmas story before. It's a woman giving birth to a baby and a big nasty dragon is trying to come and swallow it and eat it. And it's just crazy, graphic, bloody, violent imagery and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, Jesus wins by his life, death, and resurrection, told in this very apocryphal kind of literature, apocalyptic kind of literature. Look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God. Not somewhere out in the future when Jesus comes back again someday at the end of time. Right here, right now, when Jesus lived and died and rose again. And the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, Satan and demons, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. The kingdom is right here, right now. We have a series coming up about that, where we're going to talk about the idea to deconstruct some of the crazy nonsense that's been taught about Revelation over the years that I kind of grew up hearing about here and there. A whole different way of seeing a perspective on it. I'm so excited about it. You got to be here. We're going to get all kinds of social media stuff out to you guys. Here's a quick take a look at this. Coming soon. Coming soon. People ask, are you, uh, you know, do we do politics at this church? Well, Revelation is fairly political. When it talks about the king's going to wipe out all the empires of the world, they can't get any more political than that. But it's, we fight with different, anyway, I'll give, preach the whole sermon now and anyways, won't come back in, in September. Uh, Jesus talks about this king. He's king right here, right now. In Matthew chapter 16, there's this fascinating account where Jesus goes to a city called Caesarea. Now, you in here, I hear Caesarea and think Caesar, Caesarea, whatever. It's a city in Israel, but it's the Las Vegas of Israel, and the Romans built it. The Jewish people wouldn't have built something that nasty and gnarly. And, I mean, it's like terrible, degrading, awful stuff that goes on there. And Jesus takes his disciples there. He looks up and he says, hey, looking around Caesarea, all the crazy debauchery and sin and stuff going on there. Who do people say I am? Well, I don't know. Some people say you're Elijah, and some people think you're a prophet, and some people... What about you folks? He says, what about you guys? Who do you think I am? And Peter, who's always the one to speak first. And usually it's like, hey, Peter, shut up once in a while. He gets it right this time. He says, you're the king, the Messiah, the king, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are right, Peter. And on this rock, not on the rock of Peter, on the rock of the son of God, who's coming to this world on that rock, Jesus is the cornerstone for this massive new kingdom he's going to build. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. Some of your Bibles say what he's going to tell us. You'll see there in your note sheet. Jesus says, my church, my kingdom is not just tougher than the Democrats or the Republicans. It's tougher than hell. Not even hell is going to be able to prevail against it. And speaking of tougher than hell, that title there, uh, put the next picture up here. That guy right there, he's the pastor of a church right up the road here from us. You know what the name of his church is? Tougher Than Hell Church. And we've told our security, keep the picture up there for a second. Uh, we've told our security team, hey, if he shows up here, don't chase him down. He's actually speaking here. Next week. And that, that's, not, that's really him. 
fascinating story. I'm telling you right, you guys should never miss church. But if you're only going to come to church one time this year or get a friend to come one time, come next weekend. Jake's going to come here and bring the message. It's going to be so powerful, so amazing. Be here next week. So uh, tougher than hell. And the older school Bible, some of you in the NIV, I think, and the King James say, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not be able to, will not overcome it. And it almost, it's kind of confusing if you really pay attention to that because it makes it sound like, okay, we're the people in God's kingdom and we got to be on the lookout because hell's coming for us and we have to hunker down behind uh, bunkers and behind big walls and stockades and, and hell will not be able to crash through and it'll be able to, to get us. The tricky part with that is it's, it's a weird word they use there and it gets mistranslated sometimes. Those of you that, well, you don't have to even be a war person to know. Is a gate of something you use as a weapon in warfare? No. A gate is something that just stands there. It's a defensive weapon. And what Jesus is saying, hey, right now, the kingdoms of this world, before he shows up here, are under the rule and control of the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. Sin and evil have established a foothold in every corner of our world, and sometimes even in places like churches and religions, where it's crazy what has happened there. Uh, and, and there's this almost this idea that we somehow have, if we, if we don't get this right, Jesus is not saying, oh, we're on the defense and maybe we stand behind the lions and the gates of hell won't be able to crash through. That's not what he's saying. He says, hey, they're on the defense. We're coming for him. He said, I'm going to build my church and all the places out there, the strongholds of evil that have been built in individual people's lives, in cities' lives, in cultures, in governments, and systems out there, the gates of hell will not prevail again. Jesus says, I'm coming. Remember the movie Tombstone and Wyatt Earp out there and the thing where he says, I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Jesus, I'm coming and the power of heaven is coming with me and we're going to kick the hell out of hell. We're going to break down those gates and rescue people who are stuck in darkness, rescue people out of debauchery, out of slavery, out of destruction of their life, even the sins that were done to them, that they're shackled in. We're going to go get them and hell doesn't stand a chance against what I'm going to build. It doesn't stand a chance. That's why Paul says no one tried to stop him and because Jesus says, like, no one's going to try to stop. And it's the crazy good news of this. And um, back in those times, all over the empire, there was gospel proclamations made. But they were not made by Christians. You know who they were made by? Rome. There'd be the gospel of Augustus, the gospel of Nero, the gospel of Herod. It was a victory proclamation. It's the gospel of, and it's, it tells the story of, and Nero came or Vespasian came or whoever came into a place and they beat the enemy back and they triumph and they established the peace of Rome. And now there's glorious and peace and Rome is amazing. Rome wins, Caesar wins, hallelujah. What happens, Paul comes in and the early Christian writers come in and go, well, they got a gospel there, but we got a better gospel. Our gospel is no longer the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of the empire, the gospel of a political party that promises hope and help to us. Keep that in mind when you vote this year. It's the, Paul says this way in a letter he writes to Rome. He's already written it by the time he gets here. He wrote it from Corinth. He says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
the good news of Christ. He says, this is the power of the empire that Jesus is building. The power of the kingdom comes in the gospel. It doesn't come in, let's go to war and conquer people and jam it down their throats, which sadly Christians have done in the last 2,000 years. We misunderstand that all the time. We get too aggressive and we recognize Jesus fights with weapons of grace and humility and sacrificial service and prayer and worship, all that kind of stuff and more. Uh, and, and the gospel proclamation is this. Now, people who I love and respect here at Crosspoint uh, have told me in the last few weeks especially, they said that I've called you morons too many times. I probably have. I think it's just a cool word, morons. And I'm the head moron, so, you know, I'm the biggest moron of all, so I'm not not looking down on you guys. So I'm not going to call you morons today. But the gospel proclamation starts off with, you have a God who loves you like crazy in spite of the fact that you are a vile, wretched, wicked, abominable, broken, lost sinner. You're welcome. That's who we are, all of us. And you say that if you're offended by that, you're the worst of all because you're proud and you think that you're better. (laughs) And the crazy proclamation is God comes to us with a proclamation of there is a way out. And religion says, behave. Karma says, just there's a movie, uh, a, a, a series on Netflix. I've watched it here and there about the good place. And the whole deal is if you do enough good things versus bad things, you can... You can maybe get to the, get out of the bad place and get to the good place, which is karma, which is religion, which is everything out there. Jesus says you can't do jack squat, nothing to get right with God. You have no power. The Bible tells us, uh, Paul tells us we were, we were without hope and without God. We were lost losers in this world, but God came. But God came in the person of Jesus and he lived the life, the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live in our place as your substitute. And he could do it as a human being because he's a real human being, but he could do it as God because he's now infinite with infinite capacity to do this for everybody. He died on a cross to take the penalty and the punishment that your rebellion deserves and my rebellion deserves. Separation and the wrath and judgment of God. And on that cross, he also, then he went into a tomb and he rose from the dead he doesn't just break the penalty, doesn't pay for the penalty and the punishment of sin. In the resurrection, he breaks the power of sin. Breaks the power of sin, not someday when you get to heaven, right now. Now, again, it's challenging because we live in a broken, sinful world and that everything's not all the way done yet. But man, there is, you have power now to overcome the stuff that you were powerless to handle on your own by just trying to be a good, tightly wound, religious type A Christian. It doesn't work. You can't, it'll wear you out trying to, to, to square the deal on your own. And what it means, this is the message we come to you with here now, 2022 years later, that you, in your sin, stuck rebels against God, can be made right with God because of what he did. And what Jesus is saying, it's a, it's a victory proclamation. He's not calling you a winner. You're a loser. You're on the losing side. He says, get off the losing side. You don't have to win because I did it for you on that cross. And that, you don't have to do that. You can be on the winning side. And what it means to become a Christian, people ask, well, what does it mean to become a Christian and get right with God and all that? The simplest explanation I know, I heard years ago from a guy, uh, it's, I ripped it off from him. It's this. It's believing that what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection 2,000 years ago counts for me today. And because what he did 2,000 years ago, I can be forgiven of my sin. I can be, had the power of sin broken in my life. And I can be restored back into a dynamic, awesome relationship with God. 
That's some of you today need to make that decision today. You go, but I'm not ready for it. You're never going to be ready for it. I've been a Christian now for 30, 40, whatever year. I've lost track at this point. I'm still not ready for it. If I was ready for you, all the important things in your life, you're never ready for. At some point, it's faith. You go, I believe it. It's true. Let's go. We have some people here at Crosspoint who are, who have made that decision just recently. They're getting baptized today here at the end of our time together. Fascinating, powerful stories of how they came to faith in Christ. And I want to just share a bit of this because when I say that we're part of a kingdom, that you recognize that you're on deployment in this kingdom, not just when you come to church. This guy, Adam, getting baptized, he's going to have Rob in the water with him. They were just looking around the last couple of years and their family seeing stuff and wondering about what's this, oh, the life and everything. And I said, every time we kept bumping into people we thought were cool and interesting, turned out they were Christians. Like they were handling it differently. They weren't perfect. They just, and they were just, it got, your job is to like Jesus said, let the light so shine before men. They'll see that and then they'll glorify your father heaven, become Christians and join up. And that's what happened there. You just, you, you live on deployment all the time, not just at church. Uh, which is why you serve, why you invite, why you give. All the things we talk about here all the time is to help people come to faith in Christ. Haley, who wandered into our party last Saturday night, we canceled church last Saturday night um, and had the party there. And Haley just wanders into the party, talks to some people. And at Vail headquarters, there, prays to receive Christ. She's getting baptized today. Yeah. It's a beautiful Beautiful story. Guys, this is why we do what we do the way we do it. Every bit of everything we do here is to help people. And some of you go, well, that's just one or two people, right? Yeah, except Jesus says there's more joy in the presence of God over Haley last Saturday night than all you fools. Sorry. All you. (laughs) Than all of you fun, exciting, amazing people that showed up today at church. Now, God doesn't hate you. He's just saying, man, when somebody comes home, heaven stops and we throw a party in heaven over that. So when people get baptized today, we're going to sing today and people get baptized today. Let's be a little, let's, <laughs> what? Let's be half as excited about that as we are about uh, the fact that in three weeks, we're going to watch grown men in tight pants chase a ball around a field. <laughs> also, I encourage you, uh, if you're saying, it's time for me to make that commitment of faith to Christ. You got to get baptized today. That's the first step. Jesus says, get baptized. It's a public identification of Jesus' death under the water and resurrection coming back to new life. If that's you today, you go, it's just time. And you know it's time. You're going, but I'm not ready to get baptized because I didn't bring extra clothes to change into. We already thought about you. We got all kinds of changes of clothes, racks of clothes back here and stuff. We're ready for you today. So I'm going to tell you about this a bit. I'm just tell you right now. If you have more questions about what it means to get baptized or what it means to become a Christian on that connection card that Beth just had you fill out a few minutes ago, jot me a note about that. We'll talk to you about it. But some of you are sitting right here today and God is working in your heart right here, right now. And you know it. You know it right here, right now, today. And you go, it's just time. Let's go. Let's go. I'm telling you, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Let's make that step of faith uh, and go, well, get you to the back door and let somebody chat with you about that step of getting baptized even Today, So Paul goes out with this gospel proclamation, goes all over the empire. He gets there in Acts 29, Acts 28, excuse me, in Acts 28. And he says, I got there and no one tried to stop me. And 
Like there's no unhappily ever after. There's no sign off from Luke. There's, and no one tried to stop him. What's that all about there? And the reason I think it's fascinating, whether it was intentional that way or just like Luke got done writing and then crazy things happened. That the way of Jesus now moves beyond Acts 28 to now Acts 29. And there's no Acts 29 actually in your Bible, but we are living in the Acts 29 phase just right now. In fact, we're now in Acts, watch it, 2022. This is the chapter that we find ourselves in. It's the way of Jesus is now identified and labeled. And guys, you got to see this. Look at this map up here for a second. Move out of the way here so you guys can actually see the whole full scale of it. It's hard to read the color code over here. All the purple places are the places where Christianity is, is the dominant thing going on there. And certainly there are big places where there's Islam, where there's Buddhism, Confucius, all that kind of thing. Here's what's fascinating. Today, there are 2.3-ish billion people who are Christians, give or take a hundred million here or there. And here's what's crazy about the way of Christ, where it's a kingdom, not a spirituality, because religion and spirituality stays tied to ethnic, ethnicity and culture and geography. You look up here, Christianity has gone around the planet, around the world. Now, we still got some places to go and get. This is the revolution that Jesus came to bring, to say it's going to go everywhere and nothing is going to be able to stop it. And even people, smart people who are professors and all that, who are not yet Christians, and I don't know if they're going to become Christians, uh, are, are t- have talked about this and studied this to go, you just, it's tricky to explain. I've got some books there on your note sheet today you ought to get and read. One of them is called The tw- uh, 12 Rules for Life by jo- uh, Jordan Peterson. Andy Stanley is a Christian. He quotes a guy, we'll talk about him, called Not In It to Win It. Powerful book about what it, well, just get it. I'm not going to give it away to you. And then Dominion by Tom Holland. Great books to read. Bart Ehrman is uh, in Andy Stanley's book, and he talks about uh, Bart Ehrman. For those of you maybe who pay attention to Christian culture and subculture, all that, Bart Ehrman is kind of a populist uh, leader in, on spiritual matters, but, and he identified for years as a Christian several years ago. He went through like a deconversion, deconstruction experience, and he has renounced his faith. And he identifies himself now as an agnostic and atheist. So listen to what an agnostic and atheist says about the way of Jesus. How did a first century movement launched by a dozen or so Galileans gain traction in the ancient world and go on to become a catalyst for cultural change that shaped the modern world? How did it come about that Rome replaced their entire pantheon of gods with a Galilean rabbi crucified by one of their own governors? a rabbi who claimed to be a king and thus a threat to their empire. No one denies any of this happened. The question is, how? Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding of billions of people about what it meant to be human. However one evaluates the merits of the case, whether... The Christianization of the West was a triumph to be treasured or a defeat to be lamented. No one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. Tom Holland in his book, Dominion, he was raised kind of going to church and he's kind of renounced it during his college years. And he talks very candidly, openly in the book about the fact he's intrigued by it, but still not sure about it. Same, Same thing, him and Jordan Peterson. Here's what Tom Holland says about it. We preach Christ crucified, St. Paul declared, unto the Jews a stumbling block 
under the Greeks' foolishness, and he was right. Nothing could have run more counter to the most profoundly held assumptions of Paul's contemporaries, Jews or Greeks or Romans. The notion that a god might have suffered torture and death on a cross was so shocking as to appear repulsive. Familiarity, watch this, familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our sense of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. Today, even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two millennial old revolution that Christianity represents. It is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. It's why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. Christianity has long survived the collapse of the empire from which it first emerged to become the most powerful of the dominant cultural systems in the history of the world. How was it that a cult inspired by the execution of an obscure criminal in a long-vanished empire came to exercise such a transformative and enduring influence on the world. The way of Jesus comes into the world at the time at the pinnacle of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus, Nero, these guys, I mean, it was, this is the pinnacle of the Roman Empire. Uh, the Colosseum wasn't built until like 73, 74 AD, somewhere in there. So there are still, the, the, some of the first Christians were still alive when this was going on. The Colosseum was built in Rome to be the dominant intimidating icon to say, this is Rome. We are the biggest, the baddest, the toughest. And everybody thought this Roman Empire is going to last forever. It was unstoppable. And in that Colosseum, they had sporting games there. They had people killed and tortured. Thousands of Christians were tortured and killed on crosses in the Colosseum to entertain the crowds for fun. This is what goes on. This should not have made it out of the Roman Empire. You know what's left the Colosseum today? Some of you have been there and seen it, right? You know what you go to Rome to see today? The mighty mighty Roman Empire that wasn't going to be stopped? You go there to see wreckage and ruins and eat good gelato. And you know what you find when you walk into the Colosseum today? Take a look. Over the entrance to the Colosseum is a cross with a plaque on it. In the middle of the Colosseum, I think there's another picture there, I think, before or after. Yeah, cross turns are right in the middle. Not as an emblem of Rome and we crucified Jesus and we dominate. It's like now Jesus' empire, Jesus' kingdom has far surpassed this Roman empire that did their best to wipe it out and, and destroy it. And what these two authors have talked about here too is that it's fascinating. We live in a world today that looks at a lot of ways that Christians and people of faith view everything from money to sexuality to gender identity, all those kind of things and think, well, we need to catch up. We're kind of backwards. And they don't like what we believe. And yet the very paradigm and perspective they use to critique the Christian faith, you know where it comes from? The Christian faith. Listen to what Jordan Peterson says. Not a Christian. The... Uh, Christianity achieved the well-nigh impossible. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, placing slave and master and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. 
The implicit transcendent worth of each and every soul established itself against impossible odds. It is, in fact, nothing short of a miracle that the hierarchical slave-based societies of our ancestors reorganized themselves under the sway of an ethical religious revelation such that the ownership and absolute domination of another person came to be viewed as wrong. Human rights, civil rights, women's rights, minority rights, gay rights, disability rights, animal rights, go on, whatever he says. The success of these modern movements reflects a widespread empathy for the oppressed that has no precedent in the ancient culture. You know where it comes from? From Jesus. The very thing they're trying now to wipe out and say we're post-Jesus here, and they can't help themselves. Jesus looks at me and goes, you're just so interesting and cute. It's the revolution that he brings. It's taken over the world. The revolution starts in, in, in Jesus and recorded for us in Acts. We, we know from Paul's story that Paul is actually executed by Rome. So they, they tried to kill him. They, well, they tried to stop him, and they really they stopped him. They killed him. And here's the crazy testimony about our faith is this both in Revelation and throughout the scriptures, and we know from church history, you know when the church explodes and multiplies like crazy? Under the harshest level of oppression and persecution. So even if you die, he says, you win. Your cause wins. It grows and multiplies in their efforts to stamp it out and stop it. Over the years here, at uh, we've been at church now uh, here for about 18 years. Several years ago, I'm not sure when we started this, we started referring to ourselves, certainly we're a church, but the analogy we use to describe ourselves is a kingdom outpost. We're part of Jesus's kingdom and he has deployed outposts throughout the empire to be on rescue operations, to go get people, to help people, to bring light where there's no light, all that and more. I want you to understand who we are as a, as a cross point kingdom outpost. The first thing is we have a mission here that comes out of the great commission that Jesus says. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Help them become Christians and then disciple and train them what it means to follow me all the way, all the time. The way we describe that here is all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus. That's behind every single thing that ever happens here is to help people, whether you're not yet a Christian, been a Christian for a long time or somewhere in between, to be all kinds of people, which means all kinds of people means even... That kind of people sometimes. The pulse that I hope runs through this kingdom outpost. The business world would describe these as core values. I don't like that because we're not a business here. But it's some, if that helps you, uh, define, helps you understand these a little better. I like it to be more as like the fabric that weaves its way all the way through everything that we do here. Four kind of key statements that we use here. The first one is this, is that Jesus is central. Jesus is central. You know what that means? You know, you know who's not central? You. Church is not about you. It's for you, but God, it's not about you. And we talk, call ourselves a kingdom outpost here. And when a church becomes all about the people in the church or becomes about the church itself as opposed to about Jesus, the outpost becomes an outhouse. Tweet that out and Twitter that out and tick to whatever you want to do with that. <laughs> Because I don't want it, man. I, we, we do everything we can here to make sure we're not. It's not about you and not about me. The second, we become the center of anything. It becomes, ugh. Secondly, the Bible is final. 
The Bible is final. That means, I love this book. I don't like love the book because it's a religious icon because there's life that says the word of God is living and active, sharp and a two-edged sword. Man, it'll change your life. It'll transform you. It has power in the words in there to shape and change you. That means there are parts in this Bible you're going to look at and go, this is awesome. This is helpful. It's beautiful, amazing. And from time to time, you're going to look at it and go, what? And you're not going to like it. It's going to frustrate you, tick you off, and other off words that you don't say at church. It's just going to. I heard a guy say one time, if the Bible doesn't frustrate you and tick you off once in a while, you're probably not reading it right. So just be prepared for that. For those of you who are newer to this, going, well, I don't like that. It's like, who wants a God that's just going to pat you on the head and go, oh, you're fine, you're beautiful. Just go out and wreck your life. I need a God that's going to challenge me. It's going to go, hey, you're a fool, dude. Quit being a fool. I want you to get in the winning side. He's going to push me on some things. And even some things that I go, come on, seriously, in 2022? Yeah. Even in 2022, Bible is final. Relationships are transformational. We want you to surround yourself with good friends because Jesus being center in your life, the Bible being the final authority in your life, I'm telling you, you get people around you that all do that. Relationships will transform your life. The people who you surround yourself with will determine the trajectory of your life for good or for bad. And we always want to say that about high school kids and middle school kids. That's just true for you adults too. I've watched some of you adults make some weird squirrely friends. You break up with some people. (laughs) And then unity and diversity are essential. This is what it means to be all kinds of people. It means for everyone. And over the year, over the last last couple of years, especially, even over the whole history of the church, we've been from time to time criticized as being too soft because we kind of stand in the middle on a lot of big issues people get all, all about in the culture. Go, you should take a bigger stand for that. I go, no, we're not taking You know, we're standing in the middle with Jesus going, I want the loony liberals and the crazy conservatives in this deal. And here's the deal. The job of a church is not to change the loony liberals into crazy conservatives. It's to change us into followers of Christ, which means, see, unity and diversity sounds good on a little hashtag. It sounds good on a plaque or a mug. It's a pain in the rear end when, when you have to do that. It's a challenge. So we do small groups here to get you around people that will help you do all the one another things together as a community of people. I want to encourage you to get in on this. If you're not yet a Christian, becoming a Christian today, uh, Sam Tate is somewhere in the house. Right back there by the back door. If you're at that place today of like, you know, it's just time for me to go public with my faith. I've become a Christian maybe right here today or I've been a Christian for a while. It's never been baptized. It's just time to do that. Come on, let's do it today. Sam is right back there in the back corner of the room. The lights are going to go down in a bit. The band should come up right now. While we sing some songs, lights are down. People will be getting up doing communion and different things here. We do here, prayer and all that. Go back, make your way back to Sam and just talk with her. We're already getting the water. I've already got, we'll just baptize you too today. That'd be awesome. Uh, there is uh, our prayer team in the back of the house today. If you have things weighing on your heart and soul and need prayer about anything going on in your life right now, make your way back there. They're right there in the back, uh, the back, uh, right back there. Sam's over here, prayer team back there. Get to do that. Our, we're going to sing some songs. And guys, when we sing these songs today, these, the, the band picks songs about victory. So if we're going to talk about victory, let's not, let's not, let's not do the, 
I'm gonna sing a victory. I'm gonna sing a victory. Can I get reservations at the rest? Come on, we're gonna sing. We're gonna go for it today. We're gonna come and receive communion today as well. Communion celebrates the core, the centrality of Jesus's life was not just his miracles or his teaching or his example. The centrality of Jesus's life, who's central to our life, is his cross, what he did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. That bread and that juice symbolizes his broken body and blood on that cross. So people will get up around the room today. You'll see that happening today if you're newer today. People will be going to the four corners of the room to come and receive communion. So come receive prayer, receive communion. Go talk to somebody if you need to about anything. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to blow the roof off the joint. Jesus, we love you. We are so tired of being told to suck it up and just be stronger, be better. We don't have to be because you are, because you won. And we celebrate not our victory today. We celebrate yours. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.